resources that make engaging with us online a lot easier and feeling connected and all those kinds of things. So that said, however you choose to join us online, thank you. We appreciate you being here. And um, yeah, feel free to take advantage of that if you'd like. Um, Today we are diving into week two of our new sermon series called God is Love, looking at 1 John. Um, If you weren't here when we launched it a couple weeks ago, we did a full read-through, and in that process we got to hear lots of comments and thoughts from people after hearing the whole text read through, And, and we used some of that to help kind of craft how we wanted to engage the text. And then last week, um, Greg launched us into this series covering a bunch of information. And I'm going to do a little bit of a review because it's really helpful for us to know as we dive into the text. What I do want to say before we dive in as well is if you don't have a Bible, you really should have one. If you're in the room, there's Bibles back there. You can grab those. I recommend grabbing a bulletin as well as it's got space for notes and all. If you're online, we have a Bible app um, that you can use, and that's a great way to engage the text as well. But Use these tools to write in your Bibles, to write notes on your piece of paper, to keep track of things. Um, We hope it will help you um, kind of indulge in the text. With that, um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the beginning of 1 John. We'll start at the first verse, and while you're doing that, I'm going to open us up in prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you for your goodness and grace and your presence with us as, uh, as we see light coming in as we see it outside, as it affects us, um, we are reminded of your faithful presence with us. As we, we take a breath, we are reminded of your Holy Spirit with us, so close to us. And we ask this morning that you would help us engage your text, that you would help us have ears to hear and eyes to see the things you want us to. Um, where there's things, there's words that we feel like we've heard a hundred times that, that seem so familiar, bring curiosity to us and openness to newness. Um, And God, just however you want us to respond to you today, help us do so with um, honesty and grace. Um, Yeah, and just thanks in advance that we could be together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I said, I'm going to cover a couple things as review that Greg covered. And again, if you missed last week, highly recommend you going back. I'm definitely not going to cover it all. Um, But details that will help us better engage what we're looking at. First thing has to do with authorship. Who wrote 1 John? Now, like most letters, we usually have a a letter and it says who it's from, to who it is for, why you're writing it, you name it. Those seem like pretty common things, none of which in 1 John. So not as helpful. So who wrote it? Well, it's not totally clear who wrote 1 John. Um, What is uh, kind of understood by most biblical scholars is that this person who wrote first john is also the person who wrote the gospel of john which is the disciple whom jesus loved the son of john the son of zebedee and um and so rather than bore you with all the details and the debates about who wrote this book and all those things i'm just going to say we're going to follow the general assumption by the majority of biblical scholars and that as we move forward we're going to be moving forward thinking that it is the person who wrote the gospel of john the disciple john who wrote this first second and third john the second thing you need to know has to do with the date Again, debated. It's not totally for sure who, at what time this was written. The assumption is, though, that it is written around 9095. 
It's very similar in a lot of ways to the Gospel of John, so it's not clear which came first, but again, generally speaking, around 1995. And as far as recipients go, who this letter was written to, again, it doesn't say. So it's an unnamed audience. Um, the, the author doesn't specify. This is to the Church of um, Rome or anything like that. But we do know that it was written most likely to some churches that John had connection with. And um, because of this, it was most likely written as John was getting in his older years. So he's probably a little gray, he's a little older. Um, and we know because of it being later that it was most likely circulated to several churches around Ephesus because that's where John kind of spent much of his later years. As far as the genre and the purpose, Many think 1 John was originally um, served as a sermon to a church that the author shared this with a congregation and that out of that, it got circulated to other churches in the area. So maybe last week we thought Greg's sermon was really powerful. Everyone needs to hear it. And so we not only have it here, but we'd circulate it to the bridge, one of our church plants. And then we, we say, our dinner church needs to hear this as well. So, so it's circulated to them. Or, or maybe we say, you know, all the churches in our community this is something God's doing, they need to hear, or maybe within our network, our denomination. So similarly, they believe that this is kind of the same idea with 1 John. Now at the time, the church was going through some tough times, because you, you can imagine, Jesus has been gone for around 50 to 60 years. And so many have believed Jesus would have returned by now. And so as you can imagine, some have given up. What, what am I doing? This is I thought all this was going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. On top of that, there's lots of different ideas and theologies and false theologies coming out to make reasons for this. On top of that, there was people reading the Gospel of John and twisting some of the content in the Gospel of John that was causing divisions and causing people to leave the church. And so a lot of what the author's purpose is about is to to make clear some of the distorted teachings that people are taking from the Gospel of John and help to untwist some of the falseness that's been coming out, that's been causing division and causing people to leave the church. And all of it is designed to focus and get us back on topic, focusing on the person of Jesus. With that, one of the cool things about 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is how many similarities there are to the Gospel of John. And so, what you're going to find is that over and over again when we're looking at 1st and 2nd and 3rd John and all that, we're going to keep referring back to the Gospel of John as well because there's so many similarities and kind of cross-conversations going on that the, doing so will help us better understand what's happening. And with that, we'll see a bunch of themes that come up. The top three of the themes that we see over and over again in 1st John is sin, love, and Christology, focusing on who Christ is and making very clear we understand who Christ is. There's a bunch of other things we'll see repeated over and over again, topics like light and darkness, incarnation, community, fellowship, the Trinity, as well as this idea of a walk being the language that we use to kind of understand what it means to be on this walk as a disciple following a faith journey. All of these things, too, which we're going to see today, come up. All these themes you'll see echoed in the text that we're looking at today, which is really cool. But over and over again, you'll see these themes echoed throughout the text. The one other final thing I want to say has to do with structure. First John is not constructed like a normal letter. We have a normal letter that's written. We have points. It flows. It's got this kind of way of understanding that makes it pretty easy. This one, not so much. 
And from the very first verse, you can feel it. And um, Karen Jobes, the author of one of the commentaries we're looking at, said it like this. It says, the structure of 1 John is difficult to outline because its thought is circular more than linear. It returns to the same intertwined themes of sin, love, and sound Christology again and again, developing each further in light of what has been said to the other two. And so with that, um, Greg gave us this really great analogy to help us better understand 1 John, and it was that of surfing. Now, if you know me, I don't know how to swim, so just the thought of doing anything like this is ridiculous, but I have had some experience in the waves and we all know what it's like. Waves come and they crash and, and sometimes they come in big and they can pull and move you. Sometimes it pulls the sand out from underneath you. Sometimes it doesn't come in as strong. You expect it to come in really strong after it did and it doesn't so much. And what that means is that as we're kind of riding the wave of 1 John, it's going to take us in different places. And as much as we're going to want to say, hey, you know what? You just said point number two. It should automatically go to point number three. It doesn't always do that. Just like we can't control the way the waves are going to move and lead us and guide us. But the hope is that we kind of have a softening to the spirit to try to follow what God is doing as we're connecting all the dots in this kind of circular movement that we see. So with that, if you have your Bible, if you haven't already opened it, open it to 1 John chapter 1. Let's start with just looking at the first four verses, which we got to touch on a bit last week, but I want to make sure we hear it again in, in, with all the things that we've just heard. So it goes like this, 1 John chapter 1, 1 through 4. says this, We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declared to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So just in these first four verses, we see this does not fit a normal letter whatsoever, right? It, it doesn't say who it's from. It's missing a greeting. There's no how are you, what's up, how you been. It doesn't say who it's written to. It doesn't say what it's written about. All the things we talked about, right? If we got this in the mail, we'd be like, what? Who, who's this? what is this about, right? The other thing that hopefully you noticed in my reading and maybe you see as you look at the text is that what we see here in the Greek and in, in attention to grammar is this fast-moving, non-stop, run-on sentence. The first three verses is, is literally one giant sentence with a thousand commas. It never stops. John is coming in hot right from the beginning. It's feeling very personal and it's feeling very passionate. And it's very experiential and sensory with the words heard, seen, and touched on repeat. It speaks to the Trinity. It speaks to the incarnation of Jesus. It's all kind of getting to this idea that what we know about Jesus is true, right? He's real. He's the real deal. And we want to declare it to you. We want to proclaim it to you. And we want everyone to know it. And the other thing that we see over and over again in the text is this idea of community and fellowship with Jesus and one another, with the words we and our and us also on repeat. 
So all of this happens in this giant run-on sentence. Then we get our first period, and then it says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete, which sounds great. The text moves on to get us to our text that we're going to see today, starting with verse 5, and it says this. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. If you have your Bible, you should underline that because we'll get to that in a bit. But God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So here we continue and John starts with verse five and he is dropping a major theological statement. The statement is, God is light. And it's from this statement that basically all of John's teachings will flow from. Lots of waves are going to be created by this statement. And basically, as these waves are created and the ebb and flow of these waves come, it's going to bring up other conversations, conversations about sin and fellowship and love in our daily walk. And it's also important to note that this text echoes a number of verses from the Gospel of John. I'm only going to give you one of them, but that is from John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus is said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So again, we see the, the connections from the Gospel of John and 1 John making clarity about Jesus. Now, before we move on, I want to say a couple things. If you haven't been with us, we spent the last 15 weeks talking about the rabbi-discipleship relationship. And it's important to think about that as we look at this text. If you remember the picture of a rabbi-disciple relationship, the rabbi, this master teacher, this person who understands the text and how to apply it to life, sees us and invites us to come and follow him. That we, that would have been the ultimate in that time of day. And the invitation was to embody the way of the rabbi in every aspect of life, to be like and represent everything about the rabbi in your moment-to-moment -moment life. And on top of that, the invitation that comes from the rabbi was a sign that the rabbi believed you could do this. So Jesus, as our rabbi, believes we can do this and invites us. And it's not just this two-hour class where you learn a couple verses and now you can do it. And it's not a rabbi teaching us a trade that like helps us make money. It's this way of life in every detail. So our rabbi Jesus says in the Gospel of John that, that Jesus is the light of the world and whoever follows Jesus will never walk in darkness. Those two words, follow and walk, are classic disciple words. 
It's all about discipleship. This is not a once and done thing. This is an ongoing follow walk. And here John reminds us of this saying, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So John is bringing us back to this core fundamental understanding of Jesus as our rabbi and he wants to make sure we get it. And so with that, I'm curious what you think of when you hear light. What does light do? And I love just some people. What does light do? Yeah. It reveals. It reveals, okay. What else? It brings life. Brings life. It, yeah, without light, things don't go well. What else? It warms, yeah, okay. It could be converted into energy. Okay, nice and technical. Good. Others? Uh huh. Yeah, we got photon conversation going on. What else? Yeah. Okay, can help guide where you're going. Yeah. Anything else? Someone said what? Illuminates. Awesome. Thank you. Online. Yeah, sorry, I don't have that today. The light, the, the kind of the metaphor uh, of God being light, it's a fundamental property of the universe created by God all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. The idea of light is the thing that allows us to sustain life. It makes it more pleasant and safer than living in the dark, and it reveals that which is hidden and unseen. And there's lots of other things that the light does. But the idea of light being positive and darkness being negative is a concept we get, and it goes all the way back to the very beginning of time. And so John brings this massive theological point, this metaphor, this image, and this truth about Jesus, and it lands causing this giant wave of implication, and it helps clarify things. And again, the commentary writer Karen Job says this, everything that John will address about sin, Christology, and love throughout this letter takes its starting point from the defining idea that God is light and in him there is no darkness. It's this summary statement that John claims we have heard directly from him being Jesus, our rabbi. We've seen it, we've heard it, we've touched Jesus, and this is exactly what Jesus taught, it's exactly what Jesus embodied, it's exactly what he invites us all to embody as his disciples. And then again, we should notice the use of we and us, this language of community, this language of fellowship. It's not about isolation, it's everything in community. And so in light of this, that's my play on words, in light of this, get it? Uh, John continues with a number of contrasting kind of if-then statements. And the first two come up in verse six and seven. It says this, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out or literally practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So again, we have classic rabbi-disciple language, particularly the words fellowship, walk, and live out. And that word live out literally practically means practice. Now, 
this phrase to walk in Hebrew refers to the way one lives and behaves. It's not a one-time thing. It's best understood as an ongoing process. So to walk in the light means allowing God's revealed will and teachings to motivate and guide our actions and decisions in an ongoing basis. And it's also important to note when it comes to this idea of truth in our modern Western culture, truth is kind of this mental, kind of cognitive thing. But one of the distinctives of what John is saying is that truth is not a doctrine to believe and accepted cognitively. It's something that must be lived out or embodied by the person claiming to have that truth. That's how you know it's a truth for them because it comes out in how they live. And so to do the truth means to live in accordance with God's definition of truth in all our words and decisions on an ongoing basis. And so in short, John's saying, if you're going to be a disciple of the rabbi Jesus, it requires a life that is daily committing to practicing or living out this in such a way that is embodying this reality on an ongoing basis. You can't say you're a follower of Jesus, but daily live out ways that are antithetical to the ways of Jesus. It's that simple. And so the key word here is transformation, because on our own, we're not going to do this. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by relationship, by the community of the fellowship of believers as we learn to live and embody what this looks like in community. And in doing so, we start to be transformed and people see this transformation. It starts illustrating the truth of this being in our lives. This transformation comes in the form of experiencing ongoing fellowship and community with others, just like we're doing now with God and with others. And it it also involves the ongoing experience of the purification from sin that can only happen through our relationship with Jesus and the work of Christ on the cross. And this leads me to this word sin, which is not a fun word to say, and it's another word that's loaded with information that makes us jump to meaning. But in, in, in simple terms, we need to understand what John is meaning when he says it, and it just means missing the mark or being off target. And that's really important. Think of it as you're aiming for something. Say you have a bow and arrow, and you're aiming at a target, and the dead center bullseye is red, and you're aiming for it. Sometimes you're a little bit off. Maybe you don't get in the red. Maybe you get in the yellow. Sometimes you're aiming, and for some reason you're like, and it goes flying over there, and it takes out a duck that you weren't even knowing was there, and it has its own consequences because your aim was off. The idea of sin is simply missing the mark. And sometimes it happens in small ways, and sometimes it happens in big ways. But in the context of this letter, we're talking about the target being our ongoing practice of living in the light versus living in the darkness. That's the target we're aiming for, living in the light versus living in the darkness. So in simple terms, what you're aiming at matters. What you're aiming at matters. And we understand this. This makes sense. We can't have fellowship and community with those who are in the light if our aim and our target is always in the dark. Rather, it's the ongoing practice of aiming for the light in this way. We live this experience out in true fellowship with one another. We're joining with others who are aiming for the same thing and experiencing the cleansing power of Jesus together when we miss the mark. 
but it starts with us all in community, at least aiming in the same direction. Hopefully this makes sense. John continues and gives us a second set of if-then claims, starting with verse 8. It says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So here John builds off of what was already said and says, if we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth isn't in us. Why? Well, because every one of us misses the mark every day. We all know this. We, there's no one that thinks they're perfect. None of us have perfect aim all the time. And this is evidenced in how we practice living out our faith. We know what that's like. Sundays are a great example. I don't know how it was for you or how it is for you when you get up in the morning, especially if you have kids. You get up to church, you go to worship, you come to pray, you come to be in community, and then uh, you have this wonderful time. Then you get home. Or maybe you don't even make it home. Maybe you get traffic. Um, Or you get home and now you're cranky. And now you have chores to do and you don't want to do your chores. And your selfish desires are kicking in and you're wanting people to do stuff for you instead of you do stuff for others. Maybe you go the rest of the day not even thinking about Jesus, let alone considering Christ's way and how you should live. And the truth is your family or your friends or your your roommates or your neighbors are witnesses of this. You were participating in doing something and aiming here, and then you disconnect from this place, and your aim changes. Your practice changes. And we see it in how you relate to one another. And this is what life lived out or practice looks like with everyone. And so to act as if we are aiming and perfect with our aim is only deceiving ourselves. Now, I have a very short clip. We're talking a 10-second clip to help illustrate this idea of our ability to aim and get things accurate. Um, It comes from a Lego Batman movie. Uh, So hopefully the volume's up and you can hear it, but here we go. First try. (laughs) First try. I use that phrase all the time, right? It's this idea that John is getting at. It's not that we all do this and it's bad, right? That we try and we fail. It's not that. It's that we all experience this, but we're not willing to confess and own this reality. John says, if you're living in the light, then the truth of how we live is going to be seen by all. If you miss the mark, people are gonna see it. It's okay. You're in the light. Confess it. Own it. Be truthful. Don't throw something 10,000 times and miss it every time and finally get it and say first try. We all just saw you miss it a thousand times. You're not fooling anyone. You're definitely not fooling God. So don't do that. Be in the light. And thanks be to God when we're in community and we're doing something and we miss the mark and we're together on this and we own it and we confess it, we then get to corporately experience the goodness of grace and forgiveness, the purification from sin when we miss the mark, when we have poor attempts at our aim. 
So rather than missing the mark in front of others over and over again, we just be honest. We don't hide the truth. Because true fellowship and community with others and with God comes from being in the truth, being in the light, and knowing it's there where we truly experience forgiveness and grace. That's some good news. Then verse 10 comes, and he builds on it a little more. He says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. And we get this. If you try to claim you've never missed the mark ever, not only do you deceive yourselves, you're deceiving everybody else, and you're making God out to be a liar because we all know we've fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is perfect outside of Jesus. And so to act as if you are is to act as if, as if to live in such a way that is so far from being in the light. Everything about your aim is for the darkness. Everything about what you're doing is in the darkness. So you're not experiencing the, the community. You're not experiencing the fellowship. Everything about your aim is off. And you don't get to experience the unconditional love and grace and forgiveness because it's not even something you're thinking about because you think you're perfect. Then John continues into verse, or chapter 2. And he gets more personal. He even uses this personal family language. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. John says it really clearly. My children, I'm writing this so you don't miss the mark. Not the mark of being perfect, but the mark of the ongoing practice of being disciples of Jesus who are aiming for the light and truth of Christ. And John continues to give us some great news. He says this, but if you keep aiming for this, and in the process you miss the mark, which, by the way, we all will, don't worry, because you're in the light. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to fake it. Instead, be honest about it. Confess it. Own it. Jesus will be our advocate. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the whole world, which, again, is this amazing amen. Then he gets to verse 3 and says this. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Now, when we hear the word commands, a lot of things start popping into our mind. But what we're talking about here is the evidence of our relationship with our rabbi and that it will be seen in how we practice the thing our rabbi is teaching us, how to embody what our rabbi was about. And it goes on to say, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Again, remember, all of this ties back to this idea of God being the light and the invitation to walk and be in the light. And John is saying that knowing God and having true fellowship with God and with others is expressed in the ongoing process of how we live out and keep commands that God has given us. 
And those commands is not this laundry list. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not every detail. It's not a 20-page position paper on every verse you've ever read. The commands that John is referring to is the mandate to love God and to love others. That's it. It's not everything we could possibly list in all the details. In fact, that's exactly what's causing the problems in the church right now is they're getting caught up in all these differences and where you stand on this and where you stand on this and there's division and people leaving because of their, they've missed the mark on their understanding of who Jesus is. And John is saying, you want to know how we know? It's when you're aiming and practicing aiming for the light and living out the truth and expressing that in actions on the commands of Jesus and that's to love God and to love others. John says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in the light and in the ways of our rabbi Jesus must do so by the ongoing process of aiming and embodying the way of Christ, the way of love, because as the series is called, God is love. It all comes down for our need for God. We cannot do this on our own. It comes down for our need to be in the light. Because when we get into the dark, it's scary. When we get in the dark, there's things that are hidden. We stumble. We feel uncomfortable. We reach for things, but we reach in fear because we don't know what's there, right? All of this is tied to God being the light. And the invitation to come and be in the light, to allow whatever is that has been unseen or hidden to be revealed, to be fully seen, to be fully experienced, and to know that in that place, you're fully loved. It's the same thing that happened all the way back in Genesis when sin entered the world. They tried to hide. And God says, why are you hiding? You don't need to hide. I see you. I'm with you. It all comes down to our need for God and our need for being in the light and living in the light. And so with that, may we be disciples of Jesus who live out the ongoing practice of living in the light of Christ. And may our walk with Jesus and our fellowship with others be true and honest. And may we aim to live out Christ's example of love for all. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up. They're going to give us some space just to kind of think about and process all of the things we've talked about. Um, in doing so, I have a couple questions of reflection. If you want to share your answers, um, the best way to do so is that connection card. If you're in the room, it's on your seat. Um, if you're online, you'll see a link for it in the online platform. If you don't want to share it, that's fine. Um, you could just use these as a way to guide your, your space of processing and reflecting. Um, but the band's going to play for a few moments just to give us some space to reflect. Um, and then we'll um, draw together for uh, a song of response. If you do have any prayer requests, um, just know you'll have to use our online platform. We had um, some space for prayer today. So if you want prayer, just let, use the online platform and there will be someone there to check that out for you. Um, so there you go. Um, but also just, you know, have this space. Use it for however you'd like to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, whatever you feel called to in this time. And then again, if you want to share any thoughts, please let me know. Question number one, 
would you describe the way you live as an ongoing practice of living out the love of Christ? And be honest, and if you want to share, I'd love to hear your explanation as to how you answered that. Number two, do you have any areas of your life that you have tried to keep out of the light that you need to own and confess to Jesus? It feels risky. Hopefully you see there's some goodness and grace and something really powerful about being in the light. And then the third one, in what areas of your life do you feel like your aim is just off? And just so we're clear, we all have these areas, right, where our aim is off. Um, again, it's not to feel bad about that. It's, it's to not act as if we don't have this problem. It's to be honest about it and bring that before God in our community. So with that, feel free to use those questions to reflect um, as the band plays. I'm going to close us in a word of prayer, and then um, we're going to sing one last song of response as we go. Father, Son, Spirit, we thank you again for your presence, and as the light is literally coming into this space, warming this space, revealing things, leading us, guiding us, encouraging us. God, we think of this picture of you being the light, and we recognize that you are the sustainer of life, the giver of life, that you lead and guide us, that you provide us um, direction. And not only that, God, but as, as we are fully seen by you, we're fully loved, and there's something incredible about that. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your love. We thank you for shedding light on us and loving us in the midst of that. And I pray that God, as a community here right now, that we would get more comfortable with owning the places where our aim is off, that we'd be holding each other accountable, that we'd be growing in our practice of living out love for God and love for others, that people would see transformation in us individually and corporately as a church in this community for your glory. Pray this all in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.